Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, throw it's Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And today we're going to throw it back to one of my favorite underrated Patriots of the first iteration of the Dynasty, Dynasty 1.0, if you will. And that is Dion Branch. And we're going to explain before we get into the breakdown of why we picked Dion Branch. And I think it really is very relevant to the team today. But before we do that, uh, we do want to hit on some news, not much NFL or Patriots news to discuss here today, Alex. I think everybody is uh, talking about Kevin Durant and and what's going on in the NBA this time of year. But there was a little tidbit about college football that I'm going to let you kind of lay out why uh, this could trickle up to the NFL. And obviously that means to the Patriots, eventually the uh, USC Trojans and UCLA are reportedly what's the mascot, Evan. Bruins, right? Yep, UCLA yeah. Bruins reportedly moving to the Big Ten, which is a con- consolidation. There's that big word con- consolidation of power from the Big Ten and the PAC and the, uh, excuse me, the SEC, right? The Big Ten and the SEC are basically becoming right. the only two conferences in college football that matter at all. And it's pretty clear that the conference structure is not working. Uh, the way that it was intended to work anymore in college football. But you obviously know a lot more about this stuff than I do, Alex. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, well, just to relate it to the Patriots specifically, and it's something we've talked about on the show in the past, you're not necessarily a big fan of Pac-12 players in the draft because of the way that the game is played in that conference. And the Patriots have had their their swings and misses. I'm going to give you two lists here, Evan. It's the play. The first one is the players drafted by the Patriots out of the old Pac-10 before the last realignment in, you know, that was 2010 to 2014. And then I'm going to give you since then the players drafted by the Patriots out of the PAC 12. Now, the reason I want to make this distinction is the PAC 12, as you have described it, when that, when, when Colorado came in and Utah came in, it's not necessarily because those teams joined, but it's just a line of demarcation. The way the game played was played out there kind of changed. It actually used to be a bit more of a smash mouth conference. So here's uh, here's the Pac-10 draft picks under Bill Belichick. Uh, I'm, I'm only going to do top uh, 100. Well, I'll throw in a couple of those, mainly top 100. Uh, J.R. Smith, Tully Banta Kane was outside the top 100. Matthew Slater was outside the top 100. 
Patrick Chung, Rob Gronkowski, Shane Vereen. Matt Castle's also in there. That's a pretty good list of players. Yeah. You know, again, out of, out of 10 guys, Vereen, Gronkowski, Chung, Slater, Redmond, all five of those guys contributed significantly to Super Bowl wins. You could throw Banta Kane in there as well. Now from 2014 on, when the Pac-10 became the Pac-12 as we know it now, and I'm going to give you all of them, uh, all of these guys except, actually, I'll give you all the top uh, 200. All these guys except two are top 200, you know, fifth round or earlier. And this isn't including this year. Cameron Fleming, Jordan Richards, Christian Sam, Jake Bailey, Nikhil Harry, Devin Asiasi, William Sherman. Kind of a drop-off there. Yeah. Outside of Bailey, right? And so to bring this back to the Patriots, right, I think it's going to the, – the, the game that those schools are playing now – and USC is about USC has always been a, a blue blood, but they're about to have a major surge. They hire Lincoln Riley. They've right. got a ton of NIL money. A lot of high school talent is going to start going to USC. You're going to see a lot of USC players in the draft here over the next couple of years. I think the style in which those teams are going to play, or at least the opponents they're going to face is going to replicate more what the Patriots look for and have had success evaluating in the draft. So to tie the football news of the day into the Patriots, I actually think this is a good thing because two blue blood programs, I think, now become more realistic draft hubs for the Patriots than maybe they were prior to this move. That's a great way to spin it. I think the biggest thing that I've had against the Pac-12, and I'd also throw the Big 12 in there as well into this Well, category. the Big 12's its own nonsense. But... I'm just talking about from a football and a schematic point yeah. of view, right? I think the biggest thing that you look at with those two teams, those two conferences, is defensively they have basically turned into quarters based defenses almost exclusively. So they're playing a lot of cover four or quarter structures and there's just so much space and so little resistance. And the first, let's say five to eight yards of a route for a wide receiver that a lot of the numbers that these offenses that are just very talented, like Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley for years. Right. Right. They, they, these, they're putting up video game numbers in these conferences. And I think the biggest thing that you had issues with, and I had, you know, looking back on our evaluations of Nikhil Harry and learning from that draft pick and things of that nature, you saw so little true press man coverage. Let's get in somebody's face and let's see if he can win. And the little sample size that Nikhil Harry did have against press man coverage was very poor uh, as it translated to the NFL with the same thing. So I think the biggest thing that I had against the Pac-12 was, one, the style of defense that they played was basically, uh, let's play a country, uh, you know, country spot drop zone. We're going to sit back and cover four shells, keep the top on the defense, and let everything go underneath. And it allowed guys like Nikhil Harry to catch screen passes and drag routes and then take those for big plays after the catch. And the other thing that I would say is the speed of the conference, especially out in the Pac-12 to me, really took a hit over the last three, four, five years, going back to the Nikhil pick. And in that respect, I think that that was something that I saw on tapes with, you know, Drake London, for instance, right? Who I wasn't as high on with other people as well as these big receivers, these six foot three, six foot four guys that are posterizing people in the Pac-12, but are they actually running away from anybody? Right. Is there, right. Do, what's their game speed? Are they actually pulling away from defenses? And when you're not pulling away from Pac 12 DBs, 
I just have concerns from an evaluation standpoint. Like if you can't run away from a guy in the Pac-12, then I really don't feel good about you running away from an NFL defensive back. Whereas when you look at the SEC guys, okay, like I can see A.J. Brown pulling away from this guy. What That that really translates, right? Or even a guy like right. Traylon Burks, who I, I was, you know, we all kind of soured on because of the 40 time and everything. At least he was out there running away from people in the SEC. So I, I think that that's a big part of it with the Pac-12. So I am interested to see from that respect going into the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, some of these really blue bud power programs. Let's see what some of these guys look like now in, right. in terms of translation and projecting to the NFL uh, against some of these defenses that have a little bit more overall team speed than what they were going up against in the Pac-12. Well, I, I think, I mean, at all positions, too. The thing is, the Pac-12, like you said, it's a very wide open game. Big Ten is not wide open. The Big yeah. Ten is as closed as you get right. in college football. They want to line up across you and beat the crap out of you. Every Big right. Ten team pretty much outside of Ohio State. Ohio State plays more like a Big 12 team, like a hybrid of a Big 12 and an SEC team. Every other team, you know, when we were doing running backs, right, during the draft, Evan, how many Big Ten running backs did I say, I love this guy because he runs hard? Because that's what the Big Ten is. You got you to put your big boy pants on, put your hard hat on, come to work. pac 12s never been that, right? pac 12s flashy. Yeah. It's West Coast. It's Hollywood. It's L.A., that's not going to fly. I, I I know, you know, in Southern California, the nice weather, you're running around, you're having a yeah. good time. You're going to go up to Ann Arbor in November. Yeah, you're going to go out to Camp Randall in November, December. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't play Hollywood football out there. It's just not going to work. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that works out. I, I think it's going to make it a lot easier to evaluate, not just with the Patriots for all teams, but I think the Patriots, especially because of, at least what we assume they do based on historical tendencies, I think it's going to make it a lot easier for, you know, NFL teams to evaluate the talent. Yeah. That's a really good point about the weather and USC. Look, I lived out there. You know that I always talk about it. it you get soft when you live out there, man. They're a dome like, team. Yeah. I, they don't play in a dome, but they're a dome team. You're a dome team and you get soft when you live out there. And let me tell you your blood and just your ability to handle the cold, just being out there for two and a half years, it changed me. Like I was a kid that grew up in Boston, went to Ithaca for four years for college. Then I go out to LA for two, you know, a little over two years and I come back and the winter is like the worst thing ever. Right. Like it, it just really flips the switch in your body. So I didn't even think of that, but man, yeah, when they go up to Michigan and Ann Arbor and it's December and they got to play the Wolverines up there and it's 20 degrees out and these guys have never seen snow. It reminds me of that game the Patriots played in uh, the 18 playoff run against the Chargers in the divisional round. And you had guys out there on the Chargers like, you know, huddling for warmth on the sideline during pregame. It's a lot like that when you well, are not used to that level of cold. It's same when the Patriots go down to Miami, right? When you're not leveled to the, used to that level of heat, it's the same thing in the reverse as well. Well, it's that, and it's a style thing too. You know, the, the Pac-12, like I said, plays the game a certain way. You're going to go up to Lansing. It's going to be 30 degrees out, and they're trying yeah. to run Kenneth Walker down your throat 45 times. Yeah. That's the, you know, you're going to have to handle that. So anyway, that, yeah. that's my thought on the news. I, I do think mentioned- it works Go ahead. No, go ahead. I do think it Uh, works in the reverse with the heat, right? Like, you know, with the Patriots in Miami, but I wouldn't say Southern California heat is exactly the same as Miami heat. Like Southern California heat is uh, dry desert heat. It's not humid. It's not heavy heat. It's more just hot. Whereas 
in Miami, it's you, you, you go and you run 20 yards in a football game and you're drenched in sweat and your body feels really heavy. I don't think that the impact of the heat is as astronomical it's, in SoCal. It's not just the weather. It's the play style, too. That's a yeah. part of it. Fair and, enough. And uh, John Wilner, who's a college football insider just now, don't assume the Big Ten is done. So there's going to be two. It's going to be two conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, the North and the South. And then there'll be everybody else in a third conference. Maybe that'll be the Big 12 or whatever. But that's what it's going to be. Somebody did point out. We talked about this. And we were like, what's the story of the day? Mac did have a throwing session with Nelson, yeah, I, Nelson I Aguilar and Trey Nixon yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think this is interesting because of the two guys he was throwing with, right? I, I think right. both guys are not guaranteed roster locks. We're, we'll do roster projections and and you know go over locks and things like that as we get closer to training camp. If we were to do one of those right now, then those two guys are not going to be on our locks list right so the fact right. that they're going out there with mac the the one thing you know I, I hate comparing mac and putting them in the same sentence as brady but when i was listening to that i am athlete podcast with julian edelman earlier in the week that we talked about a little bit on tuesday one of the things that he mentioned uh, edelman did i mean is when he was young he re- started renting the house next to brady's even before Brady and him became boys, right? Like they were already living next to him so that anytime Tom Brady needed somebody to throw to, like in his backyard in Brookline, he just needed somebody to throw to, he could text Edelman or call Edelman and Edelman would be there in five minutes, right? And this Trey Nixon report, Mac mentioned that he went to the facility last year with Trey Nixon and they got their COVID test and they went into the building together and they sort of did their rookie seasons together. Right. And I, I wonder if maybe that relationship is really strong to the point where it does kind of turn into a little bit of a bromance if Trey Nixon's able to make the team like it did with Brady and Edelman. Once upon a time, Edelman, seventh round draft pick that's just trying to make the team. He mentioned he's just trying to play on special teams. But the one thing that he always did was make himself available for Tom Brady. And, and it seems like Trey Nixon's doing the same thing with Mac Jones. Yeah, it does. And like, like you mentioned, those guys have a relationship. It's it's interesting to see. It wasn't a big group, and I don't know if they're throwing again today or, or what the plan is there, but, you know, it, it really seemed like – well, it seemed like Aguilar was out there getting some work because, you know, based on Instagram, he'd been out there the day before, right? Yeah. Aguilar's getting in some work, tells Mac to come out, and, and Trey Nixon just sort of shows up. And that's what you want from that guy. Just sort of, you know, that's how Edelman made it. He was just yeah. sort of there. He was just sort of around. He showed up. Yeah. He just was a pest, basically. He lived on Brady's hip and it turned into obviously an illustrious career. If you're that guy, that's how you get there. You just hang around. It, it's so it's a, if, if you're somebody rooting for Trey Nixon, that's a really good sign that he just sort yeah. of showed up there yesterday. Yeah. It's, it said that they were, so they were out in California for the throwing session. I don't even think Trey Nixon was supposed to be in California. Uh, yes. Big 10 country. Yeah. And he just, uh, <laughs> and he just all of a sudden up and pops up and is like, Oh, I'm here. Like, you know what I mean? I, that's just the type of things that exactly what Edelman was talking about in the podcast earlier this week was exactly what Trey Nixon did this week with Mac Jones. Uh, you almost wonder if Trey Nixon has talked to Edelman, right. Or, or, or picked up some pointers from Edelman along the way about how to make the roster as a seventh round pick, because that was right out of the Julian Edelman playbook, almost verbatim from the stories that Edelman was telling about uh, with Brady. I want to take a second to shout out our partners at bet online. Our partners at bet online continue to be 
the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. What do you make about now, Snagalore? Not only being there this time, but the last time that we heard about these throwing sessions that were over social media, it he was at his high school down in Florida that they were working out at Nelson Aguilar's house, high school. I mean, so clearly Nelson Aguilar is trying to take on a little bit more of a, a leadership role or just be a little bit more involved in the offseason or something along those lines. Again, I wouldn't have him as a roster lock if we did this exercise today either. And you look at Tyquan Thornton right behind him, right in that speed outside receiver role. What do you make of Aguilar being there? And, and do you think that he's at least winning over the teammates to the point where it would be a surprise internally if you were to be let go? Yeah, I mean, you have to be encouraged by it, right? That he's showing this leadership. And, I, you know, it's not surprising based on talking to him last year. He seems like the kind of guy that wants to be hands on all that. Yeah. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he said he wanted to get into coaching. Or was something he'd be interested he in did. after his career ends. So yeah. it makes sense to see him taking that leading role. And, you know, for him, if he feels like his roster spot's in jeopardy, that's a, a good way to kind of protect yourself is right. become the leader of that group, become the voice of that group. So you like to see him putting it together like that. It's in, I'm interested to see what Nelson Aguilar, if he does stick around, what his year two looks like. I, I think there's very much visual evidence. I don't know if we have any stats yet that really can measure it statistically about the impact that he had when he was on the field just by stretching the field. Right. And I I think it was really clear in games where they missed him like that Buffalo game, the second Buffalo game in new England, when they didn't have him on the outside to stretch the defense, those safeties just were jumping the short and intermediate routes all game long. Right. There was really nothing keeping the safeties back and keeping them from suffocating their outs over the middle when Nelson Aguilar was out there, I think there was at least a respect level of his speed on the outside right. and, and the safety at least had to stay back far enough to respect that he could possibly get the football down the field. So I don't think the box score necessarily does him complete justice. With that being said, great players still produce in the box score, right? Like you don't, you don't right. become a hall of fame player because you stretch the field on tape. Like you, you still got to put up stats at some point in time. So we'll see if you can put up more stats this year, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to totally discount the fact that Aguilar had a impact on the way the offense was defended last year that let's say maybe in 2020 with Demir bird in that role, I don't think it was quite as egregious bird actually had better stats, right. Than Aguilar did technically, in that role or yeah. comparable stats comparable. Yeah. But I don't think when you watch them on tape, that defense has played them the same way that they did last year with Aguilar out there. Right. That's the tough part about being a wide receiver. You're only going to put up as many numbers as the quarterback allows you to. And that, I don't mean that as a yeah. knock on Mac Jones. It's the reality of the position. There's guys who have also statistically overperformed their talent level because the quarterback's like throwing them the football. So it's yeah. that, that to me is, is what the case was of Aguilar's production last year. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's get into the uh, into the throwback Thursday segment here. I'm going to pull up the, the clips that we pulled. And I, before we get into the clips, uh, we, we decided to do Dion Branch today, who uh, I think in 2003, 2004, especially that 2004 playoff run with the back to back huge games against Pittsburgh and then the Super Bowl MVP against the Eagles. Uh, just a tremendous run. I went back and looked at some of the stats uh, that he had over 100 receiving yards and back to back games. He had what three touchdowns against Pittsburgh, I think, in the title game. Uh, one on the ground that we'll we'll show in a second. But I think the biggest reason why we wanted to break down Dion is his explosiveness, his ability to work out of the slot and stretch the field vertically from out of the slot, and his ability to really just create explosive plays and big plays in general. That's sort of the type of receiver that I think has been a unicorn for the Patriots since Dion. Like, I think yeah. that's the guy that they've sort of been chasing. I guess you could consider Edelman in some respects, having some of those traits as well, but kind of a different type of player. They, the Patriots and Mac Jones in particular, I, I think would really blossom with having a receiver that runs routes, gets open, creates the big plays that Dion created. So we're doing this today because we want, the Patriots to hopefully find a Dion branch down the road to pair with Mac Jones. That's sort or, of or we think they may have like, or I, think they may have. I don't know yeah. if you were like saving that to get into, but yes, I, I, uh, not the same player, but based on what Kendrick Bourne did last year. And if you kind yeah. of project, like if, if he like maxes out his skill set, it's, it's in that Dion branch category. Like he feels like that kind of guy inside outside really good after the catch very crafty runner balls and routes with the ball in his hands yeah uh, you know i think sneaky fast i don't think people appreciated just how fast Deion branch was because it wasn't like the the best part of his game i think the best part of his game is probably his hands but yeah. um sneaky fast i think kendrick Bourne's another guy where you know we talk about Aguilar and and now thornton is the the, the speed of the offense but kendrick Bourne's pretty fast in his own right so like as as we watch some of these plays, let's think about like you know think about Kendrick Bourne running some of these routes. What that might look like because I'd like to see him used in some of the ways we're going to show right here. Yeah, I think Kendrick Bourne's play speed is actually maybe a, a tick faster at times than Nelson Aguilar. I don't know if he's faster in a straight line, uh, but when he has the football in his hands, uh, he has a, a gear that's di- that was just different from everybody else on the team and. It was Josh McDaniel said, I don't know if, if uh, Coach Belichick said it, but McDaniels definitely said it at one point in time that when you give the football to Kendrick Bourne, it ignites us. Like it, it just, it, it's a spark, yeah. right? It's it's a different level of speed with the ball in his hands. I, I saw that, especially when we get to the end around touchdown against Pittsburgh, you see that gear with Dion a lot on tape. And, and I think that that Kendrick Bourne comparison and hoping that this is what Kendrick Bourne could become, I guess is a better way of putting it is a, a good one uh, for what yeah. Dion was. All right, let's get into some of the plays. I want to start with this one because actually this is a play that the Patriots run now and, and have run even as uh, even last year. So it's a little bit different the way they structure it, but uh, basically they're going to get this uh, levels concept here on, on the uh, strong side of this formation where the uh, inside receiver is going to kind of run a, a shallow and the uh, outside receiver here is going to run a little bit of a deeper dig route. I, they kind of cr- you know, cross it more than dig it, but whatever. Uh, they're going to come over across the field at different levels. Dion's here at the bottom of the screen. He's going to run the deep post, right? And all Brady's going to do 
is Reed the safety at the top of the field, who's Troy Palomalu in this example. When the safety jumps the intermediate routes, it's going to leave Dion one-on-one with the corner here on the outside, and he's going to uh, he's going to burst by him for the touchdown. They ran this exact same play last year against the Indianapolis Colts, and it was the one big play Nikhil Harry had the whole year, right? The the big throw down the field to Nikhil Harry in the second half of that Colts game on that Saturday night in Indy was the exact same route combination that you're going to see here from uh, from Dion and the Patriots back in 2004. So the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? I mean, that's this is one of those plays that's been in the playbook for at least 20 years. So this was the uh, the HD version, and you can see Dion ends up in the in the end zone, just beating the inside safety, but or beating the corner to the inside. But we can uh, get the all 22 version. It's a little blurry, so I apologize. But the best we could do for 2004. So you see those uh, levels routes, and you see the deep post, and then you see Troy Palomalu right here on the logo. He's in the deep middle of the field, and Brady's just going to read it. If Troy Palomalu stays back and helps on the post, and he's going to throw one of the uh, shallows. We can throw the intermediate or the shallow. If Troy Palomalu jumps those, he is going to throw the deep post to Dion, and that's what he does. He jumps it down here, gets out of the picture. He's right around here now, and then you can see Dion getting the leverage and just blowing by his man for the touchdown. Yeah, and this is, again, where that like sneaky speed comes in, and you see how we talk about some of these guys as route runners. He's able just that little shake at the top of that route is all it takes when you're in one-on-one, when you have that kind of speed because the corner has to respect him going up the sideline. And instead, he's able to kind of, again, little maneuver. It's not, you know, he's not putting on a route running clinic here or anything, but he's done enough where the, the corner has to respect that move. And instead, he gets the whole middle of the field to himself. Yeah, hey, this is lagging a little bit, so I apologize. But yeah, it, it, it's just it, it's just crazy to to look at like the exact same play call work 20 years apart, right? Like it, it, right. It, it's something that we were talking about, I think on Tuesday about how everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel and all this kind of stuff and change football and run these different offenses. I think when we were talking about Staley and the nerds and all that kind of stuff, that's where we got into that a little bit. And yet the Patriots just run the same exact route combination 20 years apart and get big plays out of both of them. So the that's other, that's the other nice thing about this play here. Uh, and it's not like a film thing. You can just let it run if you want. Brady actually overthrows this ball a little bit. He kind of has to. The coverage still isn't bad for the play, but Branch doesn't panic at all. You see him just kind of recover the body control, all of that. You see a lot of guys panic in that situation. They overstretch or they understretch. Like if you play it from here, watch Branch as he, he hauls the ball in. He's not exactly balanced, but his ability to yeah. recognize where the ball is, readjust himself, make the catch, and then stay on his feet to get in the end zone. That's a veteran level kind of maneuver from a guy who, what is this, his third year in the league here? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, because this is leading into the Philly into the Philly game. So in his third year in the league, makes a makes a great play to not only get open but secure the catch and stay on his feet to score the touchdown. Yeah, it's a great point, and you see the leverage, right? The corner has outside leverage because right. he's got post safety help, right? So he's funneling him into. Or he the thinks post- he does. Yeah, he thinks he does. <laughs> right, and then when the post safety help isn't there there you know he's got the leverage advantage so yeah it's not the look we're nitpicking at this point but you know you would like to see the throw maybe a little bit further out to his uh, to Dion you know leading Dion the other into the post right instead of making him right. kind of uh you know curve uh straight Brady's got a hundred Brady's got a hundred four fever here leave him alone 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's the throw got there. It was on the money <laughs> and it got a touchdown. So that's all that matters. All right. On to the next one now. We're going to get into Super Bowl play here. So I think what's cool about this one, I, I we weren't able to clip it before the motion happens, but this uh, player here, I think that's Corey Dillon. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he was started in the backfield, right? So now he goes and motions to empty uh, to five wide. The reason why he motions is I'm 99% sure, and we'd have to ask him, and unfortunately we can't have that luxury here on Patriot Speed, but I'm 99% sure that Brady read blitz on this play and decided to go into this five wide knowing that he had the answer to beat it. So the big key here is this motion comes out here and it creates this empty formation from under center, which doesn't happen very often anymore that you see empty from under center, but that's besides the point. They're going to just run a smash concept, though, uh, to the boundary here. Uh, they just have Dion in the slot right here. He's going to run a corner route, and then Corey Dillon is just going to run a little hitch, right? So it's hitch corner. Uh, that's called the smash concept. The Eagles are going to run cover zero. So I think it's actually better. We can let this roll kind of just show the play uh, of what ends up happening. You see Brady making adjustments at the line because he knows what's coming, right? And he he gets the ball out in plenty of time here and hits Dion on the corner route. When you watch it from the, the overhead angle, you're going to see the, the middle safety kind of... Real quick, bring back refs in white pants. They look hilarious. Okay. Well, we're waiting for this to play through. Yeah. So here's the overhead angle, and you're going to see the, the deep safety uh, right here. I, I think is maybe Brian Dawkins or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, we're, he, not, we're not doing those circles. Those are from the TV copy. So that's yeah. actually... that's. Uh, now that's Collinsworth for this game, but yeah. So here's the, the, the deep safety is actually going to blitz, right? He's going to come on a, on a zero blitz here and Brady and branch know that they have this leverage, right? Because this corner here is taking an inside leverage position because it's a cover zero blitz. When it's cover zero, you're thinking you're getting something hot, like a slant or an inbreaker just to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. So you take away the inside of the field and you make them beat you in, on a route like this uh, that takes a little bit more time to develop and make you throw it outside the numbers. So the Patriots know that they have leverage on Dion. Uh, Brady knows the blitz is coming. And here comes the blitz right up the gut. And you can see there that Dion's got the leverage on the corner there out of the slot. And he just kind of threatens into the leverage and then breaks out on the corner out and it's one-on-one -on -one and it's pretty easy. Right. So this right. is, I think another indication of what we've been talking about, or you, especially Alex have been clamoring for these verticals out of the slot. That's from exactly Max what I was going to say, right. Yeah. Ha having that ability to get vertical out of the slot, not having everything be just a little option routes, you know, Hazi juke type stuff underneath the defense. This is the kind of stuff that Alabama, I mean, even before Jones and, and, and then last year with Bryce Young, this is where Alabama's at its most dangerous. Because once you start getting this play going and you see how they kind of are able to isolate, and you, the other really exciting thing about this that Alabama does that the Patriots could do, you tie this with a strong running game, you're not always going to get those two high safeties. Branch yeah. breaks that one to the outside, right? You see the corners kind of playing them inside. Once you and, and picture this like further back, right? They're obviously kind of close here. Once you get that outside established on the on the the deep slot, you can start using the middle of the field and running up the seam too, and running in breaking routes out of the slot like deep, right? Like like running posts out of the uh, yeah. posts or deep ins out of the slot. This is the exact kind of thing I think Brady or I think Mac and Kendrick Bourne 
would be excellent with the Patriots have the personnel to run this play. They have the running game to force teams to respect it where they can get these kind of looks defensively. Obviously here it's a zero blitz, but we saw how much last year, right? Teams just played single high against the Patriots because they said, beat us throwing the ball. We're not going to let you beat us running the ball. And then if teams want to take away that, well, now it's two safeties out. Now you can run the ball even more. So this is the exact kind of look, Evan, you're right. You beat me to it. When I say I'm looking for the vertical slot from the Patriots offense, whether it's Kendrick Bourne, Trey Nixon, we saw Trey Nixon run this exact play in minicamp. Yeah. He made a great catch, obviously without pads, yeah. but made a great catch on a play on a route combination, very similar to this. When I say vertical slot, this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. And there's a couple more examples in this, but that's exactly what I'm talking about right there. And then you combine the last two plays we saw, right? You had him going deep on the outside across the middle of the field and then going deep to the sideline from the slot. That's tremendous versatility from a receiver. That's where the Kendrick Bourne comp comes in because I think Kendrick Bourne can handle multiple responsibilities like this. Yeah. So you see in the, in the beginning phase of the route, well, you see how he kind of like break break down the release here, Evan. Yeah. So you see how he kind of stems it right at the corner, right? Like, so instead of just running in a straight line off the line and then breaking on the corner route, he actually sort of angles it inside a little bit towards the corner. And what he's doing there is he's threatening the leverage, right? He knows that he's got inside leverage on the corner. So he's making the corner maintain his inside leverage. Like you got to respect the fact that I might break this inside. That's how I'm going to start stemming it. And then you see the little quick kind of not even a move. It's almost just like a, a cut at here at the top of the route where he's able to just kind of transition his hips and break outside without slowing down. Right. And that's a, that's a really difficult skill to do is to make this transition without even really losing momentum, working his way up the field, but 21 there, he's got to stay on his inside post, right? He's got to stay on that leverage because Dion threatens it early in the route and then he just kind of breaks away from him at that point, and then it splouses. So a really nice play there, a great recognition, obviously, by by the GOAT, which is no surprise, uh, to recognize that they're in a, in a blitz package and uh, to go out and attack the leverage, right? And that, those are the types yeah. of matchups that you want to see Mac go after, too, okay? It's, it's blitz, it's single high, it's man-to-man of some sort, and I know that I have one-on-one in this particular matchup with favorable leverage, like just go there with the football, right? You don't want to, don't hesitate. You know, no reason to really read the field at that point, you know, where you're going from the pre-snap alignment and sort of the pre-snap cadence of the play, just go for it. Right. Just, just try to hunt the big play. Uh, That's all around. We just would love to see that in general from the Patriots. All right. So this one's just a ridiculous catch by, by Dion over the middle. And these are the types of throws that I think as Max arm strength hopefully improves, uh, calling on you, Mr. Tom House, right? Like this, these are the types of throws that you want to hopefully see Mac be able to thread someday like Brady does here, where you have the two deep structure, they're in the cover two, and the middle of the field's open. And so this is an access the middle of the field type of throw Granted, the corner tries to ju- undercut it and nearly picks it, but Dion just makes a great catch and, and is able to snatch it away from him. Yeah, just picking on poor Matt Ware in this game. He was a rookie. The reason I, I put the, I think that's 21, right? Or is that 24? That might be uh, Lito Shepard. No, Lito Shepard's 26. It's Sheldon Brown. Yeah. Um, the reason I, I put this play in when I was cutting these, 
is honestly the, I, the throw is obviously wild. There's, uh, you know, through under the Bill Belichick, you know, under Bill Belichick, the Patriots have been really hit and miss with wide receivers, and it's been a lot of di- the guys who have hit have all kind of been different guys, and there's been guys who we think are similar to the guys who are hits who are then misses and on and on. So a question I get asked a lot is what what traits do Patriots wide receivers need? And this is one that I think goes way under the radar. And if you want to, you know, draw a line between guys who panned out and guys who didn't, there may be no clearer split in the guys who panned out and the guys who didn't than guys who are strong hands catchers. And what that means is, can you catch the ball away from your body? Can you go out here and snag it? Can you go up here and snag it? Can you catch the ball without being able to cradle it and hold it against your chest or against your arm or against your shoulder? This is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous hands catch right here. And that's the kind of thing. And, and maybe it was a Brady thing. So this might be old information. You know, Max, a different quarterback. The thing is with Brady, if you're a hands catcher, it maximizes where he can throw the football, kind of lets him play with his accuracy a little bit. But the Patriots have always done very well. Uh, at Julian Edelman obviously was a great hands catcher. Deion Branch, we're watching here. I mean, look at that. Doesn't use his body at all. Just strong hands snag that football. Rob Gronkowski was an excellent, excellent hands catcher. Uh, and I mean, those guys are all stars, but you go further down a guy like Brandon Lloyd, Brandon Lloyd's one of the best hands catchers I've ever seen. Yeah. His ability to just pluck the ball out of the air was outstanding. Um, you know, some of these back Shane Vereen was a very good hands catcher. So what, you know, when I look at the guys on the roster now, something Jacoby Myers does very well. Jacoby Myers, I think is a good hands catcher. Yeah. especially. I mean, for we've guy. seen Jacoby to be fair to Jacoby. We've seen him make catches that are similar to this one, right? right. In the traffic, uh, you know, kind of going up above a guy who's got his back to uh, to the quarterback and, and elevating and making this kind of catch. I, I can think of at least one or two catches off the top of my head that we've seen from Jacoby that are very similar to this one. Yeah, and so, I mean, those, especially for a guy who's only been playing wide receiver for, what, three, four, five years now? Yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm missing anybody there, Evan. I'm sure the comments will have, and I, I feel like there's an obvious one I'm forgetting, but if you're, if I'm missing a hands catcher, feel free to fill it in. But uh, so this is, this is a really, really good example of a play like that. And I think this is something the Patriots look for a lot when they evaluate wide receivers is can he go out, use his hands, rip the ball away from a defender, catch the ball away from his body. Yeah. So you see here the, the two deep safeties right there fanning out here and here yeah. and creating this opening in the middle of the field this defender right here has got the deep hole, right? So it's his job to carry vertical, right? If the slot goes vertical, that's his job to carry it, but he's playing under, right? He's playing underneath the guy to try to, uh, you know, use the safety help over the top. He knows that if Dion runs in a straight line by him or runs on a post or something like that, he's got this help. So he's trying to play the break. And the one thing that Dion does really well here is he kind of fakes that outside, right? He puts his weight on that outside foot and kind of gives that little fake at the top of the route. And that fake is just enough to hold the defender thinking he might break out here, right? Right. It's it's just enough to make him feel that. And that allows the ball to get in there. But again, I, you know, the, the breakdown, the wide receiver in the play is a hundred percent awesome. I just, I think that this is the type of throw that as Mac matures, as he works on his mechanics, and when you look, look at Brady and his ability here to to just gun this, right? I mean, it's a clean pocket, right? right? So that helps. But his ability to step in here and just really let this loose, that's the type of throw that you would like to hope that 
that Matt can make down the line as he continues to build his body up and continues to be with, you know, work with Tom house and, and all that kind of stuff. That's the goal right there is to get that yeah. kind of throw. I mean, yeah, it's an elite level throw. This is what separates quarterbacks, but uh, yeah. But again, to branch on his end, you know, you got to put a lot of trust in the receiver too to make this throw, because even if you're putting that right in there, this is a perfect angle. Look how close 24 gets. Yeah. Did I say that was Sheldon Brown? Look how close Sheldon Brown gets to picking that ball off. You've got, cause there's a million things that can go wrong there. Even if it gets through Sheldon Brown, that ball's coming in, what, 60, 70 miles an hour. I don't know how fast quarterbacks throw footballs. Um, I should right. know that. But, you know, that could easily pop up off Branch's hand. Suddenly it becomes a tip drill, something like that. It could go through his hands, et cetera, right? But no, Brady trusts him that he's going to go up and secure that ball or at the very least be able to knock it straight down and not let something weird happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last one here on Dion. We we could have probably shown like a hundred, right? But but we picked right, the right. the five or six best well, ones. So bef- oh wait, we're not gonna do the Colts one. Uh, that was a great one. Oh, I, I can pull it up really quick too. Okay, yeah, that's because that's another one where it's like, please bring that play back. It's the design. Yeah, it's sim- very similar to the one that we showed against the Eagles. So I think that's right. why I I, I oh, didn't okay. same same combination. But we can definitely do it as well. So anyways, uh, this play here, the end around. Obviously, it's an end around. This has been in the NFL for uh, right, you know, seventy five hundred years or whatever the heck it is, right? But the point is, is just watching how smooth he is with the football in his hands. I got some serious Kendrick Bourne vibes when I watched this play, right? Like we yeah. last year on the end arounds and the move that he puts on the safety is that the Tyree Kill peace sign before Tyree Kill too. By he, the way, he waves. He does this. Yeah, so cl- close so. enough. But the movie puts on the safety, the speed, like the, you know, the, just the overall play speed that he has here. It, it, this looked a lot like some of the end arounds or some of the uh, the sweeps and stuff like that that they ran last year with Kendrick Bourne. And you talk about the move on the safety; it looks so effortless. It's not a massive juke. It's not, you know, no. it does. It's just a, a slight little misdirection, and sometimes that's enough. And you're right. This is, and they ran the ball with Kendrick Bourne a good amount last year. I think he had the most carries on the team. Uh, of yeah. any non-running back. I think he was up there in the league for carries among non-running backs. But this is, again, when when we started this by kind of saying, you're going to get some Kendrick Bourne vibes from this. This is that kind of play. This is, you're, you're, you know, I'm watching this and thinking, can they set this up again with Kendrick Bourne and just get him the ball in the open field? That's what Deion Branch was. They, they never had him, I don't think, return punts or kicks, which I guess they had Bethel Johnson, but who yeah. I would put in for mm-hmm. us to do next week, but I don't think there's enough tape. Um, but he's just one of those guys where like, just, if you got him the ball in space, he was going to make something happen or even not, if you could just get him in space, you go back to that, that last play we looked at, right. Where he had the corner one-on-one with all that open room and he was able to space it out, just get him in space and and he's going to go. And then it's bye-bye. He's way, because look at the situation there in the top corner, just put it away. And the, the only two games we've done here, this is a significant amount of plays, right? The only two games we've done here, the AFC championship game and the Super Bowl. And that's another big thing about Deion Branch. He played his best games in the biggest games. He always yeah. showed. If it was a big game, Deion Branch showed up. Deion Branch was a part of it. And you're seeing that right here. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, the, the cool part about this one to me. Okay, he's is, leaving. You know who he's leaving in the dust? That's Troy Palomalo. That's 43. I think. Is that or is Palomalo in the middle of the field? I don't know. No, no, no. That's that's Palomalo. I see. Isn't that him? It looks like his hair at the 30 right now. Yeah, he, it he might. started it, but. It might be I, the play, the foot in the ground and the cut that he makes to just yeah. 
run by the safety. You see him setting it up, right? He's like running right at the safety. Right. And then when he puts that foot in the ground and he makes that cut, that that's that's a really nasty cut. And like the acceleration here too is is filthy. Like it's just yeah, shot out of a cannon. He's gone. Game's over. Pack up the buses or not for Pittsburgh because they tried to pack up the buses. Cancel? No, the it's not pack the It's it's what is it? It's cancel all those reservations. Yeah, cancel the reservations. Your your pack bags are useless, right? Like, you know, what else can we say? But yeah, Dion, uh, special player, even though it was a short period of time, when he was on his game 03, 04, I mean, he he was a real problem for defenses. Yeah. And I think the number one thing is here, and like this is not a, a knock on Dion, he's not a Hall of Famer, right? Like we're not talking about Randy Moss. We're not talking about Gronk, uh, but – the Patriots don't necessarily need Randy Moss, right? Like if they can just get a Dion branch on, on their roster and they can get a Kendrick Bourne to this level, for example, then they're golden, right? Like they, they just need this level of player on their team. That's you know, He was a pro bowl talent, obviously, as you can see, Super Bowl MVP, but he's not going to Canton, right? We're not talking about Terrell Owens. We're not talking right. about Moss, Jerry Rice. Like we're not talking about somebody that was super, super, different like this is this is a tenable for the Patriots I guess is the point I'm I'm trying to get across right no we're looking at this because they might have another guy like this on their roster and you know I don't I know everybody in the NFL you need the, the number one wide receiver even when you get them you still need other options when when that guy's covered and if you don't get them you can still kind of make headway with some of these guys who are maybe not like Hall of Famers but still I, I think Branch is a great player during this window he's a little underrated they might have this guy on the roster. It feels like they do in Kendrick Bourne. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, let me uh, let me bring in the the Colts the Colts. Wait, while while you're doing that, what do you think of this comment? He kind of looks like Alave. That's I could see that. I could see that a little bit. Yeah, I think Alave. Oh, of course, I got background noise now. I think Alave is a little bit faster in a in a straight line. I guess maybe you know, like in terms of true vertical routes i maybe give that that to alave a little bit but i i understand you know the play speed and things like that yeah. alave is like to me is like the, the deep post is a is alave right like that that that's right. an alave play uh but that that's that's the difference i think a little bit there with with uh a guy like branch and a guy like alave is is just sort of the the vertical route tree that he's gonna run in the nfl right. speaking about alave all right I think we got the the Colts play in here now. Nice. So this play is a lot like the. Uh, also, it's just awesome to see Tony Dungy upset because that just yeah. that just makes me happy, right? So this play is a lot like the one that we broke down against the Eagles, where they're going to run that hitch corner concept, right? The smash concept, and, and again, he just has leverage on the safety. Love the celebration, by this the way. This is a great celebration. It's an all-time celebration. And I love how upset Tony Dungy is. That also makes me happy. Young Although you Bill. think Bill got scored on, yeah. All right, so here, here's the route combination, and you see again just this, this, the hitch on the outside and the corner route. The, the defense really gives this one to them, though, because the safety, so, the safety is so far back, and they're in this, this like cover two zone. And there's nobody even on Dion, really, right? So he gives that little fake to the inside on the safety, and the safety's just got too much ground to cover. It's it's just it, this is like this is a walk in the park for Dion and Tom Brady, you know? Like this is too easy. But yeah, well, this, I, go ahead. It being in the red zone too, right? They struggled at times in the red zone last year. Once teams took, you know, Hunter Henry was the answer early, and teams start taking him away. 
like this kind of thing, this is a way to succeed in the red zone. Basically, since Gronk left, it, it feels like they're trying to find a way to throw the ball in the red zone without having like a six, six beast of a tight end. Right. Right. This is it right here. And when you have a guy yeah. as dynamic as a Dion branch or a Kendrick Bourne in the slot, it can open up some opportunities. Boy, does it feel like that field is 200 yards wide the way they set this play up. Yeah. So another great thing here, and I, you just watch these plays and as much as we're breaking down Dion, it's just like watching Brady is just ridiculous. Right. Well then, so, then add that lions one I sent you too. So the, the, the crazy thing about this one with Brady and I, we talked about this the other day uh, with Mac watch initially when he loads up to throw, what look at where Brady's eyes are. Right. So Brady, he, his eyes are into the middle of the field, right? Like he doesn't look at Dion until he's ready to throw. Like right now is when he's starting to load and his eyes are pointed in this direction. So if we had the overhead angle of this, I absolutely guarantee you that the safety is following Tom Brady's eyes, right? So the safety is creeping into the middle of the field, thinking that Brady's going there with the football because that's where he's loaded up to go. And then he almost like sides arms it in a way out here to Dion. That's safe. The safety was completely fooled by Tom Brady on this play, right? And yeah. we talked about with Mac, maybe a next step of the detail of his game is this eye manipulation game that Brady plays here uh, with the cold secondary and being able to move defenders or hold defenders in certain spots. If Brady just stares down Deion Branch here, then maybe that safety that's playing the half field uh, gets over there, right? Or, or tries to or right. defend this a little bit tighter. Brady holds him in the middle of the field and it makes this just a walk in the park. It makes it easy. So that's one of those uh, great examples, I think, uh, of eye manipulation or like the little things he does in the pocket to hold the defense and then to come back here to the concept to Dion. That was 110% where the safety was. I was trying to figure out why the right. safety was so far away from Dion Branch. And the reason was is because Tom Brady holds him there. And that's that's Mike Doss. Mike Doss was a, I don't know if he was ever a pro bowler. He was a good player. He was a decent player. Yeah. 100 tackle guy that year. Looking at it right now, at 100 tackles, one pick, four pass breakups that season as a rookie. See, see if the cell. Oh, we, we gotta we gotta see the other angle. For, it's on this. It's on the Super Bowl DVD. The celebration the, where he just falls back. They have it in slow motion. It's awesome. We gotta we gotta look at the celly. There you go. There we the, go. He always was good for a celly, Dion. Oh, Branch. he had great celebrations. Dion Branch yeah. character, great, great celebrations. Do you have the Lions one or no? Sorry, you Tony. Here? Sorry, Tony. Sorry, the Lions one. Uh, let me yeah, look. I sent you a Lions play. Yeah, that was one more. Yeah, because that's I wanted to try to get Pittsburgh one Eagles game. No, no Lions. No, yeah, I wanted to try to get didn't one get in from one. the. Uh... Oh yeah, it looks like I didn't send it. I wanted can, to try to get. You might be able to pull it up on your end if you want to pull it up. I'll, I'll give it a shot. I wanted to get one in from the second era, and I remember it had a good all twenty-two. Oh, and he came back. The yeah. Sec the second stint. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Hang on. Hang on a second. Uh... There it is. All right. You see, you see that? Yes. Just got All right. Uh, look, at the, look at the difference in the in the video quality, right. though, right? I mean, this is well. So this is he's wearing eighty four. He's wearing red. This is ideally what Kendrick Bourne looks like this year, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so he's up here. This is Thanksgiving. He's yeah. up here. I'll, I'll run it once, and then you can you can share. Third and a long two. 
This is another one that rolls quick the fullback. He's got a wide open. God branch. And then there it is. The seamless. I just muted it. The seamless motion. Look at him just toy. I think that's uh, it's Alfonso something. I forget. He's a meme now. Because he got beat. He got beat like four times like that in that game. This you're right. This is this is exactly. I mean, obviously it'd be Mac ten and not Brady twelve, but this is exactly what it's gonna look like, right? With the red unis and everything. I'm glad we got this one in here because this is nostalgia right now. So right. right. Well, so here you go. Go on. Yeah. So puts I, the hand up. Little little arm over move there. I, I yeah. gotta I gotta hope that the corner thought that he had safety help behind him. Like I got I gotta give the corner the benefit of the doubt there that that was more of like a bust than him just getting absolutely torched like that. You see I, what he just said? No, what did he say? What the F happened? Yeah, so obviously there was a bust, right? I, that, that, that seems to be clear. You want to do the release one more time? So, yeah, you look at the, the arm over, right? That He, he knows the it's jam really not is not much coming. of a release. He just kind of runs by him. Yeah, but you see how he kind of swims over him, right, with that arm to, to clear the contact. But, yeah, the safe, the corner definitely thinks that they're in, like, two. Like, one. That, that's got to be a, a, a covered two from the corner, and, and he's like, where the hell is the safety, right? So... But this is the kind of thing, again, you watch this. This feels like, it, again, the coverage isn't great, but this feels like a play that, in theory, should be in Kendrick Bourne's toolbox. Yeah, yeah. And Cooks the, and three the times after, the word, after the catch. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's more what this is. It's more this part right here. Stutter step one, stutter step two, three back to the inside. Just truck them. Yeah. In the end zone. Hey, that's 2010. That's, that's what, year nine for Dion branch or something like that. You're a 10 for Dion branch. Yeah. And we're, we're still, we're, uh, yeah, you're, you're not that many. It's eight, eight. I think it was. So that, that, that's still moving. Well, it was still fast, right? Eight years into it. So that was before it was right. like, you know, normal to play wide receiver until you're 35, you know? So right. A di different era. All right. Well, that was a lot. Oh, of it's fun. Alfonso Smith, by the way, is the corner. Alfonso Smith. That's if you me. look up, if you Google a, Alfonso Smith meme, you'll. Uh, I'm gonna find it. That's a blast. His from the stats past. that day, they were not good. Well, we got the Throwback Thursday, and we got the Throwback Unis wrapping up Throwback Thursday. So that's that's a perfect little, uh, you know, uh, icing on top, right? A little cherry on top there to right. get Throwback Unis into the into the highlight clips as well. All right, Alex. All right, wait, you, what you want, Alfonso Smith stats? Yes, uh, I do. Absolutely. It's thrown at seven times. Five catches allowed for 125 yards and three touchdowns. Yikes. There's That's a tough day at the office. Yeah, you, it's not great. At that point, you just got to pack it up, right? You just got to call yeah. it a season. I, I don't know if you have to call it a career. Everybody's got bad games, but I think you got to call it a season. You, that's it. I'm done. I think that was his last That might have been his last year in the league. Was it uh, Vontae Davis who quit at halftime, right? Yeah. He was just like, I'm not good. I'm done. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's the wrong Alfonso Smith. Hang on. Alfonso Smith. Here he is. That was, uh, no, that was second year in the league. He quit. He, two, he lasted two more years after that. Well, look, that's that's something, right? That's two more years than either one of us ever yeah, had. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. To play in the NFL. But I, I, I would probably be just as close to Deion Branch on that release as he was. <laughs> Can't get much further away. Yikes. All right. Let's let's talk some Boston sports if we're here for a second, Alex. The news of the day, obviously, around the sports world is is Kevin Durant requesting a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. 
as much as I would love to say that there's any chance that the Celtics land Kevin Durant, I will say I am team. No way I'm trading Jalen for Kevin Durant. I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't know how you feel about it, but Durant's going to be 34 not just the fact that he's 34, because again, I just went on this little rant about how that was a different day and age, right? And now you guys play until they're in the mid-30s and they're still playing at their prime level. Kevin Durant's played a ton of basketball on 34 years, right? Like he's Team USA, deep finals runs with the OKC, with the Warriors. Like he's played a ton of basketball in the last 14 years, let's call it, of his life. Jalen Brown's 25 years old. Him and Jason Tatum have a chance to have the Celtics be relevant for the next 10 years, if, at least five to 10 years. Let's let's cap it a little bit. I'm not trading Jalen Brown by any means for Kevin Durant. I think the one thing that you could be worried about if you're a Celtics fan for Kevin Durant is that he goes to the Miami Heat, though. That that would be bad news for the Celtics in the East. Yeah, well, I'm just catching up because I think some news has uh, broken on this or updates, not no news breaking, but updates since we started doing the show. And I know I'm normally on Twitter during the show, but I was good today for the most part. And I wasn't. <laughs> um, so among them, let me let me go re-rack the timeline here. Uh, Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. The Nets won't trade KD to the Suns without getting Devin Booker in return. For me, if you're the Suns, that's a non-starter. That's yeah. fine. You can keep Kevin Durant. I'd rather, I'd rather Devin Booker. Maybe I'm nuts for that. I know Kevin Durant's a great player. Devin Booker's a really freaking good well, player. Well, I just too. think like for the Celtics with, with Jalen, for is I think it's similar. If you're not trading for Kevin Durant to team up with the star that you already have, then you're kind of just right. It's, it's sideways, right? You're moving sideways. At I don't want to say it's a it's not a lateral move in year one. Durant's still better than Booker. Right. But Booker's right. He seems to enjoy it out there. I know you can't count on NBA players staying anywhere long term, but he seems like a guy that that franchise is built around him. All of that that would stay there long term. And when Durant moves on in two or three years, and Devin Booker goes on to play for another ten, you're not going to feel great about that. And and the reality is, I don't know that the Suns need Kevin Durant to be title contenders. They are pretty close without him. Yeah. And I know they're going to lose Aiton, but they'll be able to sign and trade him and add somebody significant. I, I don't know that they need to go that far. Um, so here's another one. Woj was asked if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving could be packaged together oh my in goodness. a deal. Quote, it's certainly a possibility. They want to continue to play together, but the sense is they don't want to do it together in Brooklyn anymore. That's wild. So now if you're talking Durant and Kyrie for Booker, no. maybe. No. No. I, it's closer. I don't want to touch Kyrie Irving with a 150-foot pole if I'm so in the NBA right now. If I'm a decision maker, if I'm a general manager, I am not coming close to hitching my wagon to Kyrie. And if you're out there in Phoenix – Last year, you were the best team in the NBA by a mile in the regular season. You get bounced in the second round by a Mavs team that was worse than you. You lose in the finals the year before. At, at some point, if you swing that big, right, you trade Devin Booker for Kyrie Irving and uh, KD, you better win a title or you're getting fired within a, at least – if it's not right away, it's two years. You got well, two I mean, years to win people are saying Sean Marks should be fired at this point. Maybe. I. I, I mean, he probably should be, but – I just don't understand anybody wanting Kyrie unless 
you're like Miami or the Lakers, and that's the best that you can do, right? He's the best that you can do. Then maybe I could see how it would be worth it for a team like Miami to add another star to Jimmy Butler and try to elevate that roster. At that point, you just have to swing for it because Jimmy Butler is aging as well. So you just have to try to do something, right, to put you over the top. So I guess maybe in that sense, Kyrie Irving would be worth it for a team, but that's shocking that they still want to play so, together and they would move together. That that would be a real stunner. So there's even more here. Uh, apparently Stephen A. Smith on ESPN said Kyrie has been telling everybody he plans on joining the Lakers to reunite with LeBron. Oh my God. I don't think Durant is also going. I mean, if Durant goes to LA and it's Durant, LeBron, Kyrie, Russ, it's over. D- d- does but, LeBron know that about Kyrie wanting to come back? That's, or is a, that's that a very good question. Is that just that Kyrie's is, camp wanting to go play with the best player in the world? You know, that's very so, convenient, Kyrie. Somebody else pointed out to go back to the Phoenix thing. DeAndre Ayton would likely be a part of a sign and trade. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Ayton for KD makes sense. But Ayton apparently has RFA offers on the table he would be interested in taking. So he can take one of those offers, blow it up. Michael Bridges could also be involved, but that is um, out there. And then I I buried the lead here. I don't want to say buried the lead. I saved the best for last. It's a dramatic reveal. I, where'd it go? So I, I don't know exactly who this is legion hoops ross i know legion hoops is a thing yes legion right? hoops is an aggregator they they take other people's reports and and aggregate them out most of the time so the guy who runs legion hoops on twitter not verified seventy thousand followers though versus just a hundred people he's following so take it for what you will the nets and celtics have agreed in trade talks on a blockbuster deal that sends kevin durant to boston poor per league source no deal in, uh no deal imminent I would, if you're the, you, you have to pick Every up the phone. Gonna call. So Every, that's, that's what I'm saying. Gonna call. I, I if the Celtics don't at least call and see what the deal is, I think that they have to, uh, I Look, think that they have to at least check in on it. I, I don't know how far it goes. I, I, I've, I said this last week. If Durant forces his way to Boston, I'm all in. Welcome him with open arms. Of course. I'm not getting into a bidding war with other teams to trade for Kevin Durant. You're going to end up giving up too much. Like if Durant says, I want to go to Boston full stop. You can't trade me anywhere else. That tanks his value. And maybe you can set up a trio of Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kevin Durant. If you can do that, hell yeah. Right. I don't think that's realistic. I think he's going to the highest bidder. I think he wants to go out West, right? Phoenix has been out there. Dallas has been out there. If that's going to be the case, you call in. We'll give you Robert Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams in a first. They hang up on you, and that's that. So it's it's similar to like Devontae Adams with the Raiders, right? Because Devontae Adams wouldn't go anywhere else. He only wanted to play right. with Derek Carr. And he only wanted to play for the Raiders. And that's why Green Bay could only get a first and a second round pick. Meanwhile, the Chiefs got six picks, I think, for Tyree Kill, right? So it's a similar situation in terms of trade value is – if Durant says I'm only going here, then it's the Devonte Adams package, right? It's, right? it's a little bit less on the dollar. Uh, I think the problem that I have with Durant, and this is why I wouldn't give up any of the core pieces, maybe, maybe besides Marcus Smart. Like if Marcus Smart's got to be in the trade. So for would the money, you rather right? give up Marcus Smart or Robert Williams? Marcus, I think. See, I I would trade Rob first. Just and I I think he's a tremendous talent. I get I what do you're saying. Kind because- of feel like his knees a ticking time bomb. Yeah, and they are going to be a three-forward team, and like that's right. going to be 
I feel like it's a, it's a sell high situation. Yeah, they do need some a ball handler or somebody to to handle the ball uh, right. a little bit more, and that's obviously not Rob. I, I I can go back and forth on that. I I don't really at that point. I think we're splitting hairs. But the one thing I'll say about KD before I wrap this up, KD's a mercenary. KD is a gun for hire. And you cannot trust Kevin Durant as far as you can throw him. And I know he's the Slim Reaper, so you might be able to throw him a little bit. But you can't trust him at all. So that's the other issue that I have with with trading uh, Jalen Brown. I mean, they're not going to trade Tatum for him. But that's the issue I have. that would just be ridiculous. Right. That's the issue that I have trading Jalen Brown for him is that if it doesn't work and him and Jason Tatum don't win a title within the first two years of that project – then Durant's going to leave just like he's left everybody else that he's played right. for. Right. So you're not even just talking about the fact that KD might age out with the Celtics. You're also talking about the fact that KD might walk if they don't win a title with a core of KD and Tatum. It's just, you can't make, take that risk. Now, with that being said, you know, who would trade Jalen Brown for KD and that's Danny Ainge. If Danny Ainge was still running the no, Celtics. No, of course he, he would do it. Danny Ainge would, no, he, Danny Ainge would never trade a player he personally drafted. That's the whole reason he got fired because he would refuse to I trade disagree. his own players. I think no, that this no, trade, there is no shot. I think this when trade did Danny is exactly one of his own guys. I wrong, this, Evan. I think this is exactly the same no, trade in no. theory as trading for Kevin Garnett. No, you are chasing is, the bigger this fish. This is the kind you of trade for Kyrie Irving, chasing the bigger fish. Like, this is exactly he the didn't same trade deal anybody though. he drafted. He didn't. He's tied. To he traded Al Jefferson. He drafted him and Gerald Green fifteen years ago, and he hasn't done it since. This is the kind of trade that all the Danny H honks like to pretend that he makes all the time. When in reality, he gave a low ball offer, got hung up on, and that was it. Danny, this is this not making this trade is why Danny H got let go, it retired, whatever you want to call it. I don't because he wouldn't make that trade. I, I think that maybe you I. Who in the past, like who's he making that trade? I don't know if that guy is was as good as as Kevin Durant. Like that's the thing is, uh, like KG was thirty one when Danny Ainge traded for him. Kevin Durant's thirty three. So the, Jalen Brunson's the next, by the way. The the ages are not that far off, right? Like it's not that it's two years, but a different style of players. Uh, I look at it and I say, what's, what makes this mu- that I think Jalen Brown's better than Al Jefferson was at that point in Al Jefferson's career. Yeah. And Jal Jefferson was never an all-star. So I think Jalen Brown's think a better basketball player, but oh, Jay, are you really going to pretend that there's a debate between Jalen Brown and Al Jefferson? No, I'm just saying, who, by the I way, it, was not just an, Oh, he wasn't an all-star, but he was an all NBA player one year. I think that trading, I think this is a very similar deal to the KG deal. You keep your the what star that you like, which is Paul Pierce back then. It's Jason Tatum now, and you trade the other guy to upgrade into an all into a Hall of Fame player like KG or like KD in this case. I think Danny makes the trade. I don't think that Brad Stevens makes the trade. I think Brad Stevens is smarter than that and know and understands what Katie is about at this point. What does Katie want? Like, I just don't understand. Like he wants titles. I know that, but he like, he wants to hang out. He just like, it's crazy. You don't play video games. You wouldn't get this when you're playing my player on 2k, right? You play like you play a couple years, of the team that drafts you. And then, you know, it's the same stadium, the same uniform. You're playing the same opponents. Cause the schedule rotation just gets a little stale. You want to change it up. So you request a trade. 
do a new team for two or three years. You request a trade. Yeah. That's just, it's a video game. That's what it is. He's just, Crazy. he just wants to wear a different color shirt every couple of years. Change it up a little bit. Unbelievable. Okay. I, I, I'm all for player empowerment. I really am. But this model with what Kevin Durant has done is taking player empowerment to a bad place. Like this is, this is not what it's about. Like you want to make as much money as you want and you want to cash out and you want to chase, like I'm all for all that, right? Like they should decide where they want to play. Like we get to decide where we want to work, right? We get to decide what we want to do in our day-to-day lives. So should they, but this is a total different thing. This is just, this this is just jumping ship because you couldn't get the ship to, to steer straight, right? Like this is- I, I, so I, I think the whole Kevin Durant team jumping thing is a little overspoken or How's a little overrated. Well, he's, so he's he going to be on his fourth team now and he's barely lasted in any of the places. He went to Golden State as a free agent, his contract right now. He went to Golden State as a free agent. He's really only forced his way out of Brooklyn. Right. But he had he a changes- bad his- he had a bad divorce, at least with Russ, right? I wouldn't say he had a bad divorce with OKC okay, well, as a franchise, but with Russell Westbrook and him, that got that got bad. He he finishes he generally outside of this one, he generally finishes he plays out his contracts. I guess that's fair. And that at at that point, whatever. This is the only one that's bad, and I'm never going to fault anybody for wanting to get away from Kyrie Irving. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. He doesn't, fault him for apparently, that. according to Woj, he doesn't even want to get yeah, away from yeah. Kyrie Irving. Well, who knows what that. You know, we'll right, we'll get, hear in like five years that that report. Get, had something give me your it. give me your Red Sox take, Alex. Or let's move on from this guy. This they are who Dennis Green. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, they don't have a bullpen. They're inconsistent offensively. They're a good team. They're not a great team, and they're going to keep losing to great teams. Are you glad you didn't say it? You wanted to no. say it when they no. were beating these teams that were like 10, 15 games under five. I said it to you last night, and I'll stand by. I agree with your general take that they are who we thought they were. They're not a great team yet. They're a good team. I agree with that 110%. They win two out of three in Toronto if they have Tanner Houck, and that changes the narrative a little bit. I'm not saying it, t- it turns them into the, this this powerhouse like they were in 2018 or something like that, but it changes the narrative a little bit of how this series went in Toronto if they close that game out a couple nights ago because Tanner Houck gets the jab, right? Like It just it changes everything about how you view that series up in Toronto. Do you disagree with that? I don't, I don't know that you can just snap your fingers and say they win that game. Yeah, they win with Tanner. How clocks it down. Core didn't manage the bullpen well in that game at all. Like he before did. they got to That's the closer fair. spot. So yeah. especially with how strong pitched last night, I, I, that was a huge second guess that everybody was having. Why didn't Strom close out the game the night before? Because I think, all right, there's a really deep reference here. If anybody's ever watched King of the Hill, um, there's an episode where Bobby, the son, who's like, you know, out of shape nerd joins his dad always wants him to join a team. Cause his dad's like a high school football hero. It's Texas. He always wants son to join a team. His son joins the track team and his son keeps getting put into all these events, even though he's losing them. And, and the dad can't figure out why. And what ends up happening is when the players or when the, the track athletes are screwing around or whatever, the coach puts Bobby into their event because it makes the rest of the team get mad at them. Why did you, you know, we lost now because Bobby was out there because you were screwing around. It's called the stick. I think, I think Alex Cora was maybe making Tyler Danish the stick to send a message. I'm kidding, but that's, it's, it's a better explanation than anything else. If Alex Cora needs to send a message to management time bloom and say, these are the bums that you gave me at the back end of the bullpen to pitch the ninth inning and a division game that we need to win, do something about it. 
I actually don't hate that because maybe they actually get the reliever that they needed at the back end of the bullpen to finish the game out like that. I'm okay with that. I wouldn't hold that past Alex Cora. That's some Bill Belichick shit, right? Like, you know, you're not going to let me do what I want or you're not going to give me the groceries. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the Tom Brady protest ball of bullpen management. Right. Remember the protest balls? Yeah, exactly. Like you're going to put these freaking bums out here. This is the wide receivers you're going <laughs> to give me. Uh, I'm going to throw a ball, you know, right to this. I'm going to punt it to the, to the safety here. And then I'm going to walk back to the sideline and I'm going to take my helmet off right in front of you. And I'm going to look in your, at you and say, right. Go freaking make a trade. Right. Like that, that's, that's, if that's what Alex Cora was doing. Fantastic. I love it. That That's exactly what should be happening. If he just mismanaged the bullpen, then I don't, it's not like fire out Cora, but obviously it's not a great look, but it's also not a great look for Tanner out. So it all goes around. All right. That does it for us here today. I love how we always get into the Boston sports minute and then it turns into like an hour and 15 minute podcast. So thanks for bearing with us today and and, uh, hanging out on this Thursday in the middle of June before July 4th weekend, when I know uh, we're all trying to to get out and and get and celebrate the fourth. Alex and I will be back on Thursday. We're going to take Tuesday off because of the holiday, but we'll be back on Thursday. We'll do a Q and a on Thursday next week and talk some Patriots and then we'll get into some training camp stuff. We're almost there within a month of training camp. And after the fourth, we're only a couple weeks away. So July 27th is the first day of camp players report on July 26th. First practice is July 27th. So we'll do some training camp preview stuff uh, once we get into the middle of July. So you can look forward to that as well. But until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. 